Hey, it's Phil Simon. My new book is out now. It is called The Nine, The Tectonic Forces Reshaping the Workplace. It's my best work to date, and I hope that you'll check it out. Thanks. One thing is for certain, there is no stopping them. The ants will soon be here. And I, for one, welcome our new insect overlords. Conversations about collaboration, episode 23, Michael Jordan's number. Brian Elliott joins me. He is the executive leader of the Future Forum, and we talk about a number of things. It's a fascinating discussion on the dimensions of collaboration. Topics include flexibility, inclusivity, and connection. Oh, and his dog, Yuki, too. Let's rock. Brian, where does this pod find you? Um, Phil, I am sitting in my house in the home office, which is the sunroom at the back of the house. The dog has been shooed out of the room uh, for this so that we don't have any barking in the episode, but we'll see how that works. Oh, what kind of dog do you have? A 40-pound brown mutt named Yuki. Uh, She is uh, wonderful. She's been with us now for nine years. Um, So lots of dog walks this year. It's been good. I was going to say, you probably see more of Yuki than you normally do because of, of lockdown. She was really freaked out. Uh, this time last year, all of a sudden, everybody was home. Uh, me, my wife, uh, the kids. And uh, she was kind of wondering what was going on because all of a sudden, everybody's around all day long. Now, I'm not sure what she's going to do if we weren't around all day long. She's definitely gotten used to it. Well, I thought we'd talk about collaboration and how it affects the future work, but we can talk about the future of Yuki and how uh, the dog will respond. <laughs> I'm, always, I'm always glad to get into how the dog's going to respond to the future of work, too. Well, let's talk a bit about that because your role is essentially conceptualizing and figuring out where do we go from here? Talk a little bit about your role in the Future Forum. Yeah. So Future Forum itself is this new consortium that, that Slack is backing. Um, our objective is to help people you know, figure out how to make work better uh, for people and for companies. If, if you think about like what's happened over the course of the past year, we've run this, this uncontrolled, massive experiment uh, in work. Uh, but even like dialing back a couple notches, um, competition is all about people, right? The, the ways in which companies thrive and evolve is about talent. It's about how do you engage talented people? How do you engage diverse teams? How do you solve complex interdisciplinary problems? And that's not just true in technology companies. It's true in retail. It's true in um, every you know field of, of endeavor, financial services. It's true in healthcare, every place else. And over the course of the past year, we've taken the opportunity to, to do a lot of research on what, um, what the impact of shifting into you know, remote work uh, for knowledge workers has done, both the good and the bad, um, and you know, try to get deeper, uh, both in our research as well as in conversations with executives across companies into what habits and practices are people learning work um, and what doesn't. Okay. It's funny, you're taking me back about 25 years to when I had, believe it or not, a full head of hair. And I remember at Cornell in grad school um, saying, and I think it was the HR strategy class, that in a nutshell, you can boil an organization down to four things, core processes, organizational structure, information technology, and people. And you can duplicate all of them except for people. People. Yeah, yeah Absolutely. Um, I, you know, I, I um, started off my career at, as a consultant at Boston Consulting Group, spent, you know, the last 20 years leading technology teams and, and companies. And there's this, this saying, um, culture eats strategy for breakfast, uh, that I think is very true. 
Um, I've learned uh, a number of times, often the hard way, uh, that your ability to attract uh, and retain, you know, talented people, your ability to get people from different backgrounds um, uh, talking and solving problems together, uh, is like the key determinant. Like, can you align people to your broader mission as a company? Can you get them understanding each other well enough? Uh, can you get enough clarity of purpose? that you can help them uh, move things forward, solve problems faster. If you can do that, everything else works out. Your, your strategy then you know, can be um, not great or great, but you'll at least move, move it forward a lot faster. If you can't do that, you can have the greatest strategy in the world. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Getting back to the future form for a second, what have been some of the early surprises from the research that your group has done? So um, one of the things that came out of all this was uh, everybody assumed, and we've now done two rounds of research, one in Q3 and one in Q4. This is with knowledge workers. It's not with everybody, knowledge workers around the globe. And uh, you know, everybody expected going from Q3 to Q4 that we would see a sizable shift in people's desire to go back into the office. Um, and that's just not been the case. So um, when we uh, did this in Q3, you know, there was a certain chunk of the population that wanted to go back to full-time office work. There's a chunk that wanted to be full-time remote. There was a big chunk that was in the middle that wanted flexibility. In Q4, that's still absolutely true. Uh, one of the things that's interesting out of it is um, it's really dependent on what you've been doing for the past uh, year. So overall, in our survey, 17% of knowledge workers want to go back to working five days a week in the office. Um, if you cut that by people who've been working remotely, the answer is only 6%. Wow. People want to go back to five days a week in the office. Um, people have just seen massive um, improvements to their work-life balance. Uh, people have been able to cut back on their commute. I'm spending more time with Yuki. Um, uh, and that's got real, it's got people understanding, you know, there's ways they can make trade-offs. Um, the part that's maybe a little less surprising that has been a surprise to more executives is productivity actually went up. It didn't go down. To me, that's not surprising because you're able to, especially if, if you think about like a lot of the um, individual work time, you can be more productive um, if you have fewer interruptions going on, which some people are less fortunate about than others. But sure. that productivity gain that we've seen in our research, we've also seen it come out of stuff we've partnered up with Boston Consulting Group on and others. Um it was a surprise to a lot of executives. So if you, if you pair those two together, what you've got is people have changed their expectations of work, right? So people have said, I don't want to go back to, you know, five days a week in, in the office, you know, at a minimum, I want, you know, flexibility to work from home a few days a week. Companies are seeing, you know, that the productivity didn't go sideways on them. In fact, in m- many cases it went up. And so you add those two together and it's like, this is a massive opportunity to reset if you are an executive where and how or how you hire people. Um, and that's got bigger societal implications too, which I think are fantastic. Um, you can think about how you hire people from a wider range of geographies. Uh, McKinsey just put out a study last week talking about the fact that roughly speaking, 60% of um, black knowledge workers in the United States are located in the Southeast. So if you are um, Nike, and you're looking to expand diversity of your workforce, you're going to be thinking about hiring people in, um, you know, what's what's the size of the employee base that we should have in, in and around Atlanta, North Carolina, et cetera. Um, and so it's just the ability to think about like, how do I hire a more diverse workforce, a more distributed workforce, and still have them be productive by blending times when you get them together physically with, um, with remote work. 
I think it was Churchill who said, never waste a good crisis. I agree with you. This is an opportunity, and I love your word, to reset things, yeah. not just when we go to the office, but work on, on so many different levels. Say more about that. So there's three key elements to this from our perspective. One is flexibility. Um, so the first part of flexibility is the, the the one that we've been talking about, which is where do I work, right? So people want to be able to work from home more often. Um, and that's got a big uh, benefit in terms of work-life balance and all the rest of it. And it's got a big impact in terms of who all you can hire. Second part of flexibility that's actually more important and has even more impact is flexibility in when people work. Um, so, you know, the nine to the fixed nine to five hasn't worked for a large number of people for a long period of time, both because you have people who are better in the morning versus better in the evening, but also because you've got, you know, um, parents who have demands from a childcare perspective, you've got um, other caregiving situations that, you know, create real challenges. And that's been super true this year, that flexibility to work um, hours that are offset or a chunk that aligns with your team. Say my team does this. We have core team hours that are between 10 a.m. and 3 p.m. Pacific time. We try like as much as we can to not schedule meetings that are before 10 a.m. or 3 p.m. because that way, uh, especially working parents in the group have more flexibility to take care of kids and do other things like that. But that flexibility, the ability to um, allow people you know, to adjust their own schedules uh, is a really big deal in terms of their productivity, their work-life balance. But it, you got to build new muscles. You got to think about asynchronous collaboration as well as synchronous, right? You've got to get out of the, the burnout mode of a nine to five day where you've just taken one of the terms we that I've been using is the lift and shift. Like a lot of companies just took the nine to five calendar full of meetings uh, that were in the office and they shoved them into people's homes and everybody's you know, using a video conferencing product to dial in all day long. And you can see it, Stanford just released a study on, on Zoom fatigue and burnout. By thinking about flexible hours, you can do two things. It helps you focus. Do you really need that meeting? Because if you're gonna reduce the number of overlapping team hours, you're gonna focus those team meetings on things like team building, problem solving, belonging, and you're gonna move the status checks into Slack, right? You're gonna move the the things that can be done that are information sharing into um, into digital channels. So flexibility is really the the first part of it. What what's the second? <laughs> Sorry, you I left me hanging there. Did that too. I left you hanging there. There's an ellipsis. There's an there's an ellipsis on that one. Uh, the, the second one is um, inclusiveness. So it does come back to um, uh, how do you think about um, hiring uh, uh, and building a more diverse team, but more importantly, a more inclusive team? Diversity is like the first step, but often the failure happens because people don't think through how am I going to drive true belonging uh, inside of my teams? Um, we're going to be talking as an organization more about this next week, but uh, one of the key findings uh, uh, in some of our research has been that uh, black employees in the United States, for example, actually have had a better sense of belonging working remotely than white employees. Mm. And we're still digging in and we'll have more about like why that is. But but if you think about the challenges, um, Brian Lowry from Stanford said this uh, to us a couple months ago, black employees himself included showing up nine to five, five days a week in a majority white environment are code switching all day long. Uh, they are uh, continually uh, trying to make sure that they are watching and monitoring for um, race-based issues, but also how they talk, how they behave, how they perform, how they how they show up. 
simply allowing people more flexibility to be in a work environment than step back out of that work environment can have real uh, benefit uh, on that front. On top of the fact that you can think about issues like where and how do you hire people to tap a you know broader, more diverse talent pool, right? Um, on top of that, flexibility also of, of timeframes is really one of the key issues for, in particular, working mothers. Um, uh, we've had a million women in the United States drop out of the workforce, um, largely not of their choice because they are being faced with just impossible situations. Um, companies that allow flexibility in work schedules have had a much easier time retaining talented women. Um, and so thinking about like how this flexibility leads to inclusiveness um, is, is really interesting. And it actually opens up the door to, you know, the old historic nine to five norms of in the office um, really did some, made it even more challenging for people to feel included uh, really often. So inclusiveness is the second. And the third is connected. Um, connected to us really comes back to um, digital tools become your headquarters. For us, it's Slack, obviously, as a, as a company and, and as a product. Um, if you are going to have a team that is more geographically distributed, if you're going to have a team that's going to be working more asynchronously as well as synchronously, the one place where you share all of your information, all of your knowledge, uh, make sure that people are keeping track of status, whatever else, is uh, digital. It's not on a whiteboard uh, sitting in an office or a cork board sitting someplace. You know, God forbid. So, you know, digital tools have stepped into a into a gap. One of the um, one of the things that that's kind of uh, to make this real is we had this conversation internally at a senior level last April, where Slack had not been a remote company, right? We had three percent of our employees were remote, so we shifted just like everybody else, everyone into you know working from home, and we got in this conversation about like how do we want to come out of this and how are we thinking about this and. Uh, Mike Brevoort, a uh, uh, director of engineering out of Denver that I worked with a lot, um, was the first person to say, you know, Slack needs to become our headquarters, not 500 Howard Street in San Francisco. Mike is a wonderful person. Mike, I asked him the other day, he did 23 trips to San Francisco in 2019. He did 23 trips to San Francisco because he had a, he had a team in San Francisco as well as Denver, but also because, you know, if he wanted to do a presentation to senior executives, he'd show up in the room because being in the room would just make it easier. Well, that's a that's a huge drain. Mike's got five kids. I mean, it's just when you think about the impact of saying we can use digital tools to stitch together and help foster collaboration across people who are geographically distributed, it's not just about remote employees. It's about what we used to call remote offices. It's about their career aspirations. It's about their potential. So Connectedness to me and collaboration tools in the first place are clearly this year becoming much more central. And they aren't, they are the method. They're not the ends, but they're such a critical method in terms of helping people, you know, achieve the kind of flexibility and achieve the kind of inclusiveness that we all, I think, want to get to. Mm-hmm. In that particular case with Mike, who's to say that 23 23- doesn't become six. There still may be instances in which it okay. absolutely makes makes sense to be there, right? Yeah. For well, I want to talk about brainstorming with you in a minute because I know you're not the biggest fan, but certain in person collaborative sessions that that do make sense and do warrant the trip versus the default. Absolutely, completely agree. I think you know if you look at if you talk to the folks at Automatic or GitLab or, or other places that are what we like to call fully remote, they're actually not fully remote. They miss. 
the quarterly get together. They miss the monthly gathering. They miss the breaking of bread, the social interactions, the rebuilding of you know emotional context that happens in person much more easily than it does over a video call or a voice call. Um, and so you, you've got to find ways to, to pull that back in. And so that may be the kind of thing where your team has a quarterly multi-day you know, get together that consists of please preferably less than 50% work, more than 50%. Let's get to know each other. Let's, you know, understand each other better as humans. Let's have a couple meals together. Um, and so th- those things can be really important and critical. And, and it can be not only like the team side of things, it can be we're, we're embarking on a new project that's really gnarly. It's really complex. So we need to all get together. Um, and so we're going to find, you know, a, a sizable chunk of time and make that investment up front. Once, you, once you've got there, it's much easier than to say, okay, now we have common understanding. We have common uh, knowledge of each other. We'll now go off and do some individual work and teamwork, and we'll make sure that we stay in sync through you know, Slack and video calls and everything else. But then we'll come back together episodically to sort of refresh those bonds. So I, I, this is, um, there, there are, there's an important and critical role that shared space plays in human relationships and in building good collaborative teamwork. It was interesting to hear the story about the genesis of the term digital headquarters, because when I was researching Slack for dummies, shameless plug, I, I didn't come across that one. And then I started hearing it going, did I miss that one? Because it's such a great term for it. Yeah. The, the digital headquarters really is how, how we think about it. And I'm hearing hearing increasingly from other companies too, because you know digital is now the lifeblood of your organization. It's where all the information flows. It's where you share knowledge, you share information. And the more transparently you can do that, the more publicly you can do that across half a step back. When I started my career a couple of decades ago, the a, a lot of the ways people thought about leadership and management was you um, you got there through power and power and information was power, right? So you would hoard information and hoard knowledge because that way you you had power in an organization. Agile organizations kind of blew that up, right? They all basically said, look, if you want people to go fast, you have to share information and share knowledge. Slack, because it actually starts off with a default of a channel is public by default. You can make it private if you need to make it private, but because you're open by default is just a much more transparent way to share knowledge and information. And by doing so, that's why digital as your headquarters works. Because if you are, whether you are a 20 person organization or you're IBM with 350,000 people, the ability to have anyone around the globe chime in and do and ask me anything with the CEO of the company um, is just sort of a, a, it changes the nature of how people think about, you know, belonging at work, but also, you know, how, how they belong, how they, uh, they understand what's going on within their organization. And that trust to me is really key. Yeah. As a longtime Slack user, I'm impressed not only by the transparency, but also by the permanence, because you and I both know, I, I assume we're around the same age, the vast majority of information in an inbox goes away when that employee leaves, right? Yeah. And how do you get it back? Whereas in Slack, if someone leaves the organization, that person's deactivated, but that content still exists. Because if you think about it, the person didn't necessarily own that content. That person's message as the head of marketing or an IT director or whatever is still potentially relevant. Yeah. When I joined Slack three years ago, I had never um, worked in Slack as the product. I came from Google, which at the time uh, wasn't using it. Um, and, uh, it was, it was really, you know, it was the, how do you learn Slack at Slack, which was, you know, uh, amps it up uh, considerably. 
I will never go back because if you think about, you know, a channel is the equivalent of a project team or a functional uh, organization or even just a social, you know, an employee resource group. Anybody uh, on a public channel that joins it gets access to the to the history of that. And especially when you think about like new employees, to your point, somebody new coming into an organization, the first thing that you do when you don't have Slack is you add them to a bunch of email threads, which means they get everything going forward, but they don't get any history. So then you start forwarding stuff into their inbox, right? And you start forwarding old stuff into it. And here's a document and all the rest of it. And pretty soon it all gets lost in the sauce. Um, Slack Connect, which is the ability for two organizations to share a channel, is an even better example because if you've got, we did this first even before we got it to GA with, for example, our accounting uh, firm. So annual audit, every single year, the junior auditor you know changes out uh, on, a, on an account. And historically, you'd take the junior auditor and you'd forward them a bunch of old documents and they'd read up on it. But if they have a question on something like revenue recognition, they got to find the right person to chime in with. Between Slack and, and our auditor, you know, a shared channel allows that junior auditor to read the last three years worth of audit history. Um, they get access to all the documents. They can do a search on revenue recognition and they'll find not only a message about it or a document about it, they'll actually find the person at Slack who's responsible for revenue recognition because they're the mm-hmm. person that talks about it the most. And you just, the, the ability to onboard employees, especially in this remote situation, um, uh, has been challenging for a lot of companies, but if you've got the ability to bring somebody new into your team or into your organization and give them instant access to the important conversations, the history, the knowledge, the important documents, they're just going to get up to speed so much faster. Couldn't agree more. Going back to lift and shift earlier, when you were speaking about basically taking what was happening in the physical world and transporting it into the virtual one, I noticed that you didn't really mention brainstorming. And yeah. we were talking before, I, I never heard the term brainwriting, but uh, I think I know what it means. But tell me a little bit more about this notion that writing matters more than a slick presentation. Yeah. So if you think about uh, brainstorming, what most people picture is you're in an office, there's a group of you, there's a whiteboard, somebody's up at the whiteboard, they've drawn a framework on the whiteboard, and they're asking people to contribute ideas and do stickies and all the rest of it. Um, what depending on the quality of the moderator, that can be a decent experience. It's going to be the most decent experience for the extroverts in the room and for the people who are um, often the loudest voices or have been at it the longest, right? If you are an introvert, if you are new, if you are someone who's not familiar with the team you've just been thrust into, you're going to sit back and you're going to watch what happens because you're not sure what's going to happen. And what's going to happen, that what, what you get out of that is you get filtering, Right. And bad brainstorming, by the way, is almost immediately resorts into filtering. Someone offers an idea and everybody else critiques the idea. So let's take two steps back. What if instead what you did is said, hey, we're going to get to it. Actually, I'll give you a really concrete example. This is what we did with our research. Research team comes back with the first round of the remote employee experience index. It's a 80 plus page long document. It's got fantastic uh, information and insights. And we had to figure out like, what out of it do we want to, what do we want to pull out? So we did, as we said to everybody, um, we're going to meet next week on Wednesday. Between now and Wednesday, we want everybody on the team to take one hour at least out of your day. We want you to turn off notifications and we want you to spend at least an hour solid going through this and pull out the three to five things that you found most interesting in the research. Put them into a Google doc. Don't share them with anybody. And then when we met, we 
threw up a master doc and said, okay, everybody copy paste, put your stuff into the master doc. Mm. Now everybody spend the next 10 minutes reading everybody else's observations. Now let's start talking about what comes out of it. So brain writing is the concept of before you get everybody together and start this process of filtering, um, you start off. And by the way, Adam Grant uh, deserves kudos for this because I heard it first from him, even if he didn't invent the concept either. But it's the process of upfront um, asking people to think about the topic, come up with their own ideas. What you get is a wider range of ideas than you would have gotten in the room. You get better ideas and you get worse ideas. Um, but you're not automatically throwing people into that filtering mechanism. There's also evidence that it, it actually has made a substantial difference for uh, people who are you know, more introverted. Uh, it, it, it's the opportunity for people who are um, going to take their time to wrestle through a problem to have that time before they're tossed into a room and asked for the automatic answer. I think, I think we have a historical bias at work in a number of places, but one of them is for the person who is the instant on quick to answer that that is that is me historically as well and i will i will gladly confess uh the the seldom wrong never in doubt that i learned early in my career uh hasn't always served me well but uh i'm with you and you've done a couple things that i think are really interesting first you've for lack of a better term reimagined the feedback process but when you were talking before about inclusiveness and i know you meant in terms of reaching segments of the population that you previously couldn't for whatever reason, but you've actually made the feedback process more inclusive yeah. because it isn't going to be, what is it? Hippo highest That's opinion right. of the, I forget the acronym, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I think the, 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 there's so many of the ways that we've started looking at and approaching asynchronous and synchronous work blending together that have benefit for bringing way more people to the table whether that's introversion, extroversion, whether that's you know women with children, whether that's people with disabilities, whether it's race and ethnicity, um, there's just a um, the historic nine to five. Use a whiteboard, um, uh, throw you into the office where loudest idea wins. Just that, that's not the way to innovate. It, it, uh, it it's kind of got its proven challenges. Couldn't agree more. I'll get you out of here on this, Brian. What book are you currently reading? Um, at the moment, uh, I'm going through Adam Grant's uh, Think Again, uh, which is great uh, and recommended. And the one I've been going back to is uh, Brave New Work by Andrew uh, by Aaron Dignan. Um, uh, Brave New Work is fantastic. Um, Aaron uh, and uh, Rodney Evans have a podcast that's good too. Oh God! Uh, but at any rate, um, they've, their their content is really good and interesting around um, companies that have rethought work on a bunch of uh, different dimensions. Good stuff, Brian. Thanks for taking the time. Thank you. Remember that these episodes drop every Tuesday. However, if you'd like early access to them, you're in luck. I've launched a Patreon page for this podcast at, wait for it, patreon.com forward slash Phil Simon. I've set up a number of different tiers, including early access and podcast sponsorships. Thanks for listening to Conversations About Collaboration. If you like what you heard, and how can you not, please download, like, and or subscribe. See you next time. Remember that these episodes drop every Tuesday. However, 
If you'd like early access to them, you're in luck. I've launched a Patreon page for this podcast at, wait for it, patreon.com forward slash Phil Simon. I've set up a number of different tiers, including early access and podcast sponsorships. Thanks for listening to Conversations About Collaboration. If you like what you heard, and how can you not? Please download, like, and or subscribe. See you next time.